So as we continue in this series where we uh, figure out and talk about who we are going to be and who our DNA is in our culture, and we talk about making Jesus essential in all of our lives, uh, that's kind of already begun to happen. We, I, we were playing, uh, there's an adult flag football league for all these adults who want to you know, relive their glory days. Uh, and so we were out there, and I was playing, and so we were out there playing, and um, uh, there was a bad call by the refs, and, and I was arguing with the ref because it was a blatant bad call, uh, JP, and, um, and, and I was arguing, and uh, I hear from the sideline uh, our youth minister say, make Jesus essential, pastor, and I hung my head in shame. But we need, we need others to speak truth into our lives. As we, as we talk about this morning, these core values grow better together this morning. The point of these is to create sort of uh, bu- uh, bumpers in a bowling alley that help us accomplish this. These are arrows pointing us in the right direction of how to accomplish this mission. I learned this week about a, a plant uh, called the toma, tomatillo, that's it right? Tomatillo, it's, it's, Spanish. it's Spanish, not Mexican, it's Spanish. Uh, and uh, I would say tomatillo, like a tortilla, tortilla. Uh, but if, you know, sometimes you, you may want to grow a garden, and, but you think, you know what, I don't want to grow like this whole big giant garden, I ain't got all time for that, I ain't going to eat all that, but, but you want to get like one pot of tomatoes or peppers or whatever, and you put it out there. Well, if you ever wanted to do that, and you were growing a tomatillo plant, which is like the, the it's like a Mexican tomato. Um, uh, and if you ever did that, and you put one in a pot and watered it, it would grow and it'd get big and it would be awesome, and then it would never produce any of the fruit that it's supposed to produce. Because... The only way a tomatillo plant can produce fruit is if it is grown beside other plants. It has to have cross-pollination with another plant or it will never bear fruit. It'll grow this big vine, but it'll never bear fruit. And we are exactly the same. This morning, I want to talk to you about your personal, spiritual growth, your, your, your desire, your ability to grow in Christian maturity. And I want to make the point very clear from the, from the top, this is what, we're, what, what I'm saying, that our growth as Christians is directly connected with the depth of relationships we have with other Christians. Right, let me say that again. Our growth as Christians is directly connected with the depth of relationships we have with other Christians. So here is the outline if you're following along and you're filling out the blanks. I missed a blank last week and I apologize. I heard plenty about it. I won't do it this week, I promise. On the way out last week, I'm getting hounded. Like, what's the blank? I won't do that again. So here's the outline. One goal, two wrong approaches to avoid, and then six markers of how we do it, how we grow better together. One goal, two wrong approaches, and six markers of how we grow better together. So first, the goal. Colossians 1.28, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Last week, we talked about how a healthy things grow, and a healthy church grows in two directions. It grows deep and wide. And we sang deep and wide, right? 
which has nothing to do with that. But we grow deep and wide. We grow numerically, but we also grow in spiritual depth. This morning, we are focusing on the deep part. That it, that it is my job to ensure that all of you have the tools and the space and the resources and everything that you need that you might grow deeper in your walk with Jesus, that you might grow into full maturity in Christ. Too often over the years, I have listened to people who have been following Jesus, and, they, and they'll talk about the struggle and the lament that they desired to grow, they wanted to grow, but they didn't know how. They didn't have anyone in their life to show them how. They didn't have anybody uh, to teach them. They didn't have tools or resources. They didn't know, and so they just grew stagnant. My hope is that not only would you all want to grow deeper in Christ, but you would have the means and the resources and the ability to get there. As parents, every parent in this room's goal is or should be to help your children grow, uh, to help them grow from being an infant to a child, to a, a teenager, to a young adult, into a mature adult. And as parents, we help our kids walk and develop through each of those stages, helping them along the way, helping them with their mistakes, teaching them, training them for the world. That's our responsibility. But when, what happens when we fail as parents, which we all do when we fail as parents, and we have a young adult who acts like a child sometimes. None of y'all do that, right? Right? You gonna nod? No? What do we say to that person? We say, act your age. I I say that to my kids already, right? Like, uh, Eden, seven, she does something maybe she's not supposed to do. I say, Eden, act your age. You're not a baby. But the same is true for our spiritual growth. You see, you may come to Christ, maybe when you're 30 years old, you came to Christ. But what that means is now you are an infant in Christ, even though you're 30 years old. And it means that you have to learn how to crawl again, how to walk. You have to learn everything anew because because you're this new creation and you're supposed to see the world differently. And you have to grow and mature of what it means to follow Jesus in this broken world. The problem, however, is maybe you come to Christ, you get excited, you begin to grow, you begin to pour into, and then you just kind of stop, or for whatever reason it fizzles out, and you don't take the next step, and your growth is stunted. Maybe you never make it past infancy or childhood in your spiritual walk. So the author of Hebrews has this to say about that. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Listen to that. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. How many of us is this true for? Like, this is a hard question to answer for ourselves. And and my intention is to step on your toes and for it to hurt a little bit. But my intention is to step on your toes for your good. Because I love you. And how many of this, how many of us in this room is this true for? That by now, you should be leading, you should be 
teaching. You should be shepherding. You should be a, a leader in the church teaching. And instead, you should, be, like, you should be leading small groups. You should be discipling people in your work. You should be meeting people one-on-one for coffee, teaching them about the Lord. But instead, you were an infant or a child in the faith. And you've been following him for 20 years. Understand the word picture that the author of Hebrews is making here. In the first century, they did not have bottles by which to feed infants milk. And so when he says that you should be on solid food, but instead you are on milk, he is painting a picture of a grown man who is still drinking milk from his mother's breast. And he is painting the disturbing picture of what that actually looks like. Let me paint it for you in modern day terms. When you go to the pool, if you go to a public pool, there's always that one, one little section, the kiddie pool, right? That we don't go in because we just know it's like three parts water, 10 parts pee. You know what I'm saying? And so we all avoid it, even if we have little babies, we try not to go in there because it's gross. But what the authors of Hebrews are saying is that while many of you should be swimming in the deep end and instructing people on how to dive to the bottom of the deep end. Instead, you're that old creepy guy sitting in the kiddie pool. And all the moms aren't bringing their kids in there because they're like, what's this old hairy dude sitting in the kiddie pool? That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. There was a man in the church that I used to, when I was a youth pastor, and this really happened. And he, I mean, he's probably 60 years old and he'd been following Jesus most all of his life. But he was always complaining that the sermons were over his head, that the sermons were too deep for him, that we needed, we needed something simpler, that our pastor needed to go teach at a seminary because he was too smart for everybody in this church and that it needed to be dumbed down. And in the business meeting one time, he actually said, he said, I consider myself still a baby in Christ. Still, I need milk, and I need the preaching to be milk. Our church must not be the kind of church that fosters or enables people to stay stagnant and not grow so that after 30 years of following Jesus, they still think they're babies. Our goal as a church is to get everyone to the deep end to get everyone to be teachers and trainers and disciplers who are making disciples. We're, my goal is to get everyone that they've, not only do you eat meat, but that you love eating meat. To help everyone move in this journey from infancy to maturity in Christ. So how do we do that? Before I show you the answer of what it looks like, I want to show you two wrong approaches that I think are really important. We're going to spend a little bit of time here because I think it's super important to understand these two wrong things that will never enable you to grow. The first, we won't grow if we live in isolation. We will not grow if we live in isolation. If 2020 taught us anything, it taught us a lot of things about ourselves in the world. One of the things is it taught us that humanity cannot thrive in isolation. Like being stuck in our homes uh, working from home, never leaving home, has driven us insane. I have literally watched person after person after person break down because they couldn't take it anymore. 
anxiety and depression are through the roof. People feel a lack of purpose. They feel like a, a complete, they feel completely and utterly alone. We were never made for isolation. There was a newspaper article a few years ago that talked about addiction. And it said we had long thought that addiction was merely a chemical problem. But they did some investigation, and during the Vietnam War, 80% of the soldiers were addicted to some sort of narcotic, some sort of narcotic drug. And so you would have expected that when those soldiers came home from war, that they would have needed to go to rehab or had to go through some sort of program or something to get off of these narcotic drugs. But 95% of them, when they came home, they reintegrated with their families and their communities, and they just stopped. They just stopped the drugs. You go to the hospital, and if you need a painkiller, often they'll give you one called diamorphine, which is a fancy name for cocaine. Except it is more pure and stronger than anything that you can get on the street. They give it to you in the hospital in this nice tube that gives it to you on a routine basis and in a rhythm, which would, you would think would make you completely addicted, yet virtually no one ever leaves the hospital addicted to it. The article concluded saying that people who live in isolation, addiction manifests. The opposite of addiction is not simple sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. You see, humanity was never meant to live in isolation. It, isolation literally breaks us and dehumanizes us. As followers of Jesus, we don't just need generic human connection. We need regular, gathered connection with fellow believers in his church. We need to be connected with brothers and sisters in Christ. It is why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can't have church on the golf course. You can't have church in the woods, in the deer stand. You can't have church on the lake. You can't have church in your bed sleeping. Watching church on the live stream is a band-aid. It is a helpful thing when you are sick. It is a helpful thing when you're on vacation, when you're out of town, when you're on a work trip. It is a helpful thing when you're checking out a new church and whether or not you want to go. But it was never meant to replace regular, regularly gathering together with the people of God. You will never grow. You will never go deeper. And you will never reach Christian maturity in Christ apart from being connected to the people of God in a local church. You see, you are created with the intrinsic need for community and friendship. You were created in the image of God. And God, if you'll remember, is in himself is three persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
He's not, those are not three different roles he chooses to sometimes use. Those are three distinct persons. And so what we're saying is that in God himself is community. God, by his very nature, is community and friendship. And so when you are created in his image, it means that on the most basic fundamental level down to your bones, you were created for the need of community and friendship. So we must not live in isolation, or not only will we not grow, but it will be to the detriment of all of our life. Now, that may not really be your issue because you're here, right? Maybe if you're watching online right now, maybe that's your issue. Maybe you're getting ready to turn off the live stream now because you're mad at me. Come here. We're saying because we want you. But here, so now let me step on your toes. Not only will we not grow if we live in isolation, we won't grow if we gather on Sunday mornings, but still remain unknown. You can gather in this room and no one know who you are. Like, it is important to be in this room. It is vital, I think, to be in this room on Sunday morning, but it's only the first step. You see, the problem is it is easy to slide into this room right on time or maybe just a little bit late, maybe after the music started, slide out quickly at the end, maybe during the invitation. You can come here and you don't have to talk to anybody. And right now we're not doing the greeting, handshaking thing, and so you really don't have to talk to anybody. Honestly, I've had people tell me, hey, Brent, we go to such and such giant mega 10,000-person church because we can get in and get out. No one talks to us. No one knows who we are. And if we don't show up, no one's calling me, hassling me, wondering where I was. People have actually said that to me, and that's a problem. Church is not something to check off your list. It is a place to belong. Church is not something that you just go and do It is a family to which you belong. It means you should be seen, you should be known, and your absence should be felt, and people should reach out to you. See, the reason some of you are still drinking milk, the reason some of you are are still infants in Christ or children in Christ, the reason you're not eating meat is because while you have been attending church, You have been doing it while remaining unknown and unseen. You've been doing it disconnected from community. And while maybe you've learned some things in these really amazing sermons that you get to hear, maybe you've been convicted and maybe you've taken some baby steps in growing by being in church, your lack of being known has stunted your growth. Being in this service is important, but let me tell you, Life change does not happen in rows. It happens in circles. Life change does not happen just by sitting in these green chairs and these rows. It happens in circles. Life change happens when you take the things you learn in this room and you talk about them and pray about them and apply them and hold one another accountable in a group and with friends and smaller connected circles. In this room, I can tell you all the truth. The Holy Spirit can convict you. You can want to take the next steps. You can want to grow. But if you don't have anyone who is walking with you through it, it's going to be incredibly hard. It's going to be short-lived. You'll probably make excuses and you'll keep pushing it off. You need to be known. 
You need to be seen. You need to vent to someone. You need to lament. You need to pray. You need to hold and be held accountable. You need to confess to one another. You need to ask for advice and give advice. You need to see modeled for you older Christians who are modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. And none of that can happen if you sneak in and sneak out of this room. It will only happen when you're known. It happens in circles, and not rows. It happens in small groups. It happens within biblical community and friendship. It happens at coffee shops and over lunch. And when you're invited over to dinner and in Sunday morning small groups. It happens in one-on-one or small groups of people who can get together and talk about life and following Jesus. You know what happens when you have the appearance of community? By coming to church, but you actually lack being known, what happens is Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It means, it means you've got no one speaking into your life, and so you're going to make bad choice after bad choice. You're not going to grow. You're going to be stuck in this stagnant, unchanging life. You won't have anyone speaking truth to you, and so you'll drown in self-reliance, be consumed in self, and you'll grow arrogant and lonely. But what happens when you do come here and when you do get connected to people and you do plug into a small group and you do form deep, meaningful relationships? Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, if you have meaningful Christian relationships, you will grow to become like those people. No matter how strong you think you are, You will always become like the people you hang around. Kate knows, my wife knows, when I've been hanging around my friend from college because I'll start talking like him, and she'll say, oh, you talked to Brady this week, haven't you? Because it doesn't matter. I don't even know it. I begin to mold myself after the people I talk to and hang around with. It doesn't matter how strong we think we are. We become like those we're around. You see, show me your friends, and I'll show you yourself. Show me the people who influence you that you spend the most time with, and I'll show you yourself. For some of you, it is no wonder that you're still stuck on milk because while you may come to church, your closest friends are not those you worship with. They are those you work with or play with. And either they don't follow Jesus or they don't follow Jesus seriously, and so you will never grow beyond those friendships. Following Jesus can be hard, and it is the reason that we need other people who understand what it means to follow Jesus, pointing the way, helping us carry our burdens, picking us up when we stumble, encouraging in us. Life change happens. Growth happens, not in rows, but in circles. It's the reason that our core value is we grow better together. We don't think that just going and listening to podcasts and other sermons and reading books, like you can grow through all those things. We grow better when we're together, how God made us. So our goal is to grow, and the two dangers we need to avoid are living in isolation and then having the appearance of being known, but not actually, and we're actually isolated. We might be here, but we're still isolated because nobody knows us. If God designed us for community, 
and we are in the image of that community, then we need biblical community in our life if we're going to grow and thrive. So what does it look like to live in biblical community? What does it look like for you? Maybe you're out there and you're saying, Brent, I'd like this. I want to grow. I have no idea what it looks like. I want to give you six marks of what biblical community looks like. Six marks of what it should look like for you to plug into a small group. What it, look, what it should look like for you to make connections with Christian brothers and sisters and, bi- and build deep relationships so that you might grow in Christian maturity. Six marks. One, biblical community is marked by committed covenant-type friendships. Every one of us in this room has friends, right? But most of our friends are actually what I would call consumer friendships. That is to say that I'm as committed to you as my friend as you are useful to me. That means that friendship is kind of like Kroger or Kroger's, as some of us say. I'm as committed to Kroger's as is Kroger's is the cheapest, most convenient grocery store. But the second Morrow gets Walmart, I'm breaking up with Kroger. Not because I love Walmart, but because it'd be a lot closer. A consumer friend is not somebody you are completely trusting. You always have a wall up. It's not somebody you share your deep, hard secrets with. It's somebody you're guarded against. It's someone who doesn't really know the real you. They only know the you you put forward. This is not the kind of relationships we need if we want to grow. We need committed, covenant-type relationships. Let me show you an example of this from the scriptures uh, between two men, two men who should have been enemies, but instead were the best of friends, David, King David before he was king, and Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan is visibly showing his commitment to David. Remember, Jonathan, he right now is the prince of Israel. His dad is the king. He is the heir to the throne, will one day be king. And yet, what does Jonathan do? Jonathan gave David his royal robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. Every sign and marker of his royalty and kingship he gives to David as a sign of the promise and of the covenant of the friendship that they had together. What Jonathan is saying is that my friendship to you, is so valuable, I would rather be your friend than be king. I would rather be your friend than be king. I'd give up being king to be your friend. Like, that's commitment. And I don't know about you, but but I want to be valued like that, that somebody would give up something like that to be my friend. A committed covenant friend is one who is not worried about what they are getting out of the relationship, what they are getting from you. They are worried about who they get. All that they want is you. When life gets hard, a covenant friend is there before you ask them. When you have a need, that friend meets it. When you fall down, that friend picks you up. 
They are committed to you. They are committed to your good, your growth, and what is best for you. So here's what that means. When you do something dumb, when you make a mistake, when you step out of line, or maybe just when you need advice, a committed uh, covenant friend is somebody who is going to shoot straight with you. They're going to say, no, you shouldn't do that, or stop doing this, or you need to start doing that. You need to spend more time with your spouse. You need, to, you need to get back in church and stop making excuses. The pandemic is basically over. Get your vaccine, get your butt back in church. You need to start reading your Bible. Whatever it is, they're going to speak truth. You need to break up with that girl because she doesn't even love Jesus. So just break it off. Stop making excuses. Just break it up. They're going to speak truth to you. They're going to speak it straight. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. And so what happens is when you have just consumer friendships, they don't speak the truth in love. They either just speak the truth without love, which means they come across like an arrogant jerk. And when they speak the truth, you just your walls go up and you're defensive and like, hey, buddy, whatever. I'm over this friendship. Don't even want to listen to you anymore. We're done. Don't care what you have to say. Or a consumer friend, uh, they don't want to deal with the awkward, hard conversations. They would rather you crash and burn than have to deal with uh, stepping on your toes or having this hard conversation. And so they're just all love. Just like, man, whatever you want, it's great. Yeah, I think she's a psychopath, but if you want to date her, that's fine. Great, do it. And that's what, that's what consumer friends do. They don't want to get in the messy mud of hurting your feelings. And so they just, just love. Peace, bro. But we need people in our lives who are not afraid. Like, you need this, guys. You need someone in your life who is not afraid to tell you the truth in love. Not afraid to step on your toes if it means that stepping on your toes saves you from something. You see, when you speak the truth in love, it's not harsh and it's not just sentimental. It's, I love you so much, brother, but listen to me. You are headed for a cliff. You don't see it, but listen, trust me, I see it. Brother, I love you. Please don't do this. It, is coming, it comes from this place of love and, it, and truth and love come together, and that's what we need. Biblical community is made up of committed covenant-type friendships who work for your good. We need that. We don't just need people to tell us what we want to hear. We don't need people being jerks to us. We need people who will love us enough to say hard things and keep loving us. Two, biblical community is marked by being vulnerable. When Jonathan removes all of his royal clothes and armor and signs of authority, he is signifying, I don't want you to just see me as Prince Jonathan. I want you to just see Jonathan. There is nothing hidden from you. Here I am, exposed. See all of me. First John in the New Testament talks a lot about walking in the light. And sometimes when we read it, we think that when he says walking in the light, he's talking about like living this sin-free life. But that's not what he means. He is talking about being known, like that we walk as people who are seen, not hidden in the shadows, uh, hiding our life, but our life is exposed. But our problem is we don't want to live a life that's vulnerable and exposed. We don't want to be seen. So we only put our best foot forward. We, uh, we, we only show the best version of ourselves. And on social media, we only post the things we want people to see. 
None of us post things we don't want people to see. Even when we post hard things or sad things or difficult things, we posted it because we still wanted people to see it, which is not bad, but we only show them what we want them to see. They don't see everything else. We just show them the highlights. I think deep down we are afraid that if people really knew us, if they knew the real me, my thoughts, my fears, my pain, whatever, if they knew me, they wouldn't love me. That's our fear. If you really saw me, for me, not the me I show, but the real me, if you saw me, you wouldn't love me. And so we live not just with our masks on, but putting on a facade, showing the fake version of us, the idyllic version of ourselves, and no one really knows you. No one knows the real you. So ask yourself this question, how many people do know the real you? How many people know about your worst and secret sins? How many people know about the things in your past and the things you think about and the things you struggle with? How many people know the things that have been done against you? Some of you have been very wronged and maybe abused or hurt or sinned against, and you hide it like, a, like it's shame. How many people know those things about you? How many people know what you really struggle with, but your real fears, your real insecurities, your anxieties, your pain? If no one knows those things, no one knows you. If no one knows those difficult things about you, nobody knows you. And if no one knows you, you will never go be able to grow beyond them or past them or around them or through them. What we all need is not to just go blab all of our baggage to everybody. That's not helpful. But what we need are a few trusted brothers and sisters in Christ who can bear the weight of our pain, of our shame, of our secrets. We need to be able to tell someone these things so that they can then in return model the gospel back to us. Because when what we feel or our fear is that if people really know this, they won't love us. And we have the devil whispering in our ear, yeah, you're right. If they, if they know this, they ain't going to love you. And what we need is to be able to offload some of this onto somebody and them to look at you and lift your chin and say, look me in the eyes. Brothers, Jesus loves you. I love you. God has forgiven you. Keep your head up. We need to be told and reminded that our shame and our guilt or the things done against us do not define us. And we need a brother or sister to lift our head and remind us of that. But they can't if they don't know. Our greatest fear is that if people really knew us, they wouldn't love us. But we need for people to see us, the real us, and still love us that'll change us. But if no one knows you, then no one can speak these deep gospel truths over your life that you desperately need to hear. You'll never hear it, and so you'll, you'll continue to walk in the shame and the pain and the guilt and the fear. Instead, we need to walk with our heads held high, free of the chains that have bound us. But we can only do that if we're vulnerable. Do we grow when we don't walk alone, but when we have committed and vulnerable biblical community? 
Three, biblical community is marked by serving others. When you are of the world, you leverage your power, you leverage your money, you leverage your influence for yourself. Everything you do is about you. But when you meet a savior who has all of the power and all of the money and all of the influence of the universe and you find that he used all of his power and money and influence and he leveraged it for your benefit, that changes you. Jesus makes it clear that the way to true joy in this world is not what the world says. It's not about grabbing all the power and influence and everything for yourself, but it's about pouring yourself out. It's about emptying yourself. I must decrease, he must increase. Less of Brent, more of Jesus. Less of Brent, more of this person I'm serving. And what, will you, what you find in serving is that it changes you and it grows you. Four, biblical community is marked by sharing in the pain and sorrow of others. It is marked by sharing the pain and sorrow of others. The only way that you can ever share someone's pain and sorrow is if you are close enough to them that their hurt becomes your hurt. If you live in isolation, you'll never hurt. You'll never feel their pain. You gotta be close. And when you are experiencing pain and sorrow in your life, when, when someone has died or something's gone wrong and you're experiencing pain and sorrow and some unbeliever comes and tries to comfort you, it feels just like sentimental nicety because they don't get it in the same way. But when a dear brother or sister who knows you, who knows the Lord, comes to comfort you and makes all the difference, when they cry with you, when they hold you, when they whisper true things in your ear, it gives you uh, comfort on a completely different level because they get it. They understand in a way that someone who doesn't know Christ can never understand. And it reminds us of the great hope we have in Christ when we grow. Five, biblical community is marked by investing in others. Jesus had 12 disciples. Paul had Timothy. Who do you have? If you are a follower of Jesus, who is no longer on milk but on solid food, then you should be, ought to be, investing in someone, also known as discipling them. Now, You might say, well, I don't have time. When I get the time, I'll do it. Or, you know, I don't think I'm quite ready yet. I need to work a little longer. But biblical community is not just about your growth, but it's about helping others to grow. God wants you to take your knowledge and your experience and your wisdom and to pass it on to someone else who needs it. And what you'll find is that when you help others grow, you grow too. Ephesians tells us that the job of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know what that means? That means it's not my job to do the ministry. It's my job to equip you to do the ministry. But we've got it backward in America. We think, oh, we're paying this dude to do all this work so I can sit down and enjoy life. You're paying this dude to teach you how to do the work. And guys, we gotta do the work. Biblical community is marked by all of us investing in someone else. Because you can go places I can't go. You sit on bleachers that I don't sit on. You sit in cubicles that I don't sit at. You go to playgrounds that I don't go to. You go to restaurants that I don't go to. Maybe some of you go to bars that I don't go to. Which that's cool. 
You go places I don't go. You should be investing, discipling, and growing others. Six, biblical community is marked by seeking out those in need. Jesus left heaven, came to earth to find those who needed him. Jesus' whole life was marked by seeking the lost, seeking those who are sick, and being available and ready to help. And so the question is, who are you seeking out? How are you strategically living your life to seek and find those who are lost, those who are sick, and figure out how you might help them? How that you might speak the truth in their life, truth and love, that you might share the gospel in their life. All spiritual maturity. As you grow in your spiritual maturity, all of it is pushing you and leading you into the direction that you would become a person who is in seeking out and investing in other people, who is going after those who are lost. We cannot sit and just get fat on knowledge and enjoy our services. We cannot do that. We can't wait for others to come to us. There's a world dying and going to hell, and we have the knowledge of everlasting life, and how selfish are we if we just keep it to ourselves? Biblical community is not just about us in our holy huddle, but it's about bringing other people into that holy huddle and modeling and showing them what it means to follow Jesus. It's about being in your small group and you're saying, hey guys, I got this guy at work and he doesn't know Jesus and I've been trying to share the gospel with him, but I'm scared, will you pray for me? You give me some advice and then you go to work and you share the gospel with them. Maybe you invite them to a small group in your house or to coffee or whatever. He says, yeah, I'll come. And you go back to your group, guys, oh my gosh, I did it and now he's coming. But now this whole group of this whole community, they like get you get to team up on him, right? And when he comes, you all strategically love him and care for him and share with him and, and help him and are there for him. And so you're not alone. It's not just you versus them. It's all of us together trying to change the world. Jesus had the 12. Paul had Timothy. Who do you have? A tomatillo plant won't grow fruit if they're left alone, and neither will you. You'll never bear fruit in your life. You'll never grow. You do it by yourself. Guys, if you want to get out of the kiddie pool and you want to swim in the vast ocean of where all the riches of Christ are, or they're yours, then you need to surround yourself with biblical community, with relationships that will mold you. God designed you for this. And when you embrace it, it will change your life. I believe gathering and sitting in these rows is important and vital and commanded by God. But I believe every one of you need to be in a circle. Every one of you need to be in, in Christian, committed, covenant community with other followers of Jesus. The way we facilitate that here is through small groups. Small groups provide the tools, the opportunity, and the avenue for you to make connections, to build friendships, to share your life, and to be changed. But let me be clear. A group itself can never do that for you. You can show up to a group and you can never open your mouth, never engage, never pour out your life, never connect with anyone, and that's not going to help you. But if you go and you make connections and friendships and you start taking steps to have relationships and then start meeting outside of that, getting coffee, studying the word together, centering it on Jesus, you will find your life changed and you will grow. So here's my challenge for you today. If you are currently not in a small group, you need to be in one. If you are not currently in a small group, would you commit today to finding one and joining one. To get in some Christian community. 
biblical community change your life? If you would commit to do that, we'll help you find a group. We'll help you find one that fits you. But come grab one of these blue balls and drop it in saying, hey, I'm ready to take that step. There's something about marking it that helps you follow through with commitments. And then see that you're not alone, that there are other people that need to join too. Other people need to find that too. Not just you, a lot of us in this room. I want you to thrive, grow. I want you to be teachers, to be disciplers, to be feasting on meat. This is how you do it. Never going to do it alone. Grow better together. Pray. Father, this morning, I think that it can be a hard thing for us to hear that we've been following Jesus for a long time and we're not where we should be. That we should be young adults, but we're still children in the faith. We should be adults, but we're still infants. We should be on eating meat, but we're still drinking milk. We should be in the deep end, but we're still in the kiddie pool. Father, would you, would you wound us with wounds of grace and convict us and challenge us this morning? To take a first step of just walking up here and dropping a blue ball into a piece of wood, but committing to finding a group of people, plugging into a small group, maybe trying a couple of them until you find the right fit, finding a group of people who know what it means to follow Jesus, and you can see their lives, you can watch them, you can share your burdens, you can hear truth, you can be vulnerable, you can serve. You can learn how to disciple others. You're going to learn all the things that you can learn that you're not going to learn when you're by yourself. I know it's scary to walk into a room of people who've been meeting together without you. I think you will find a room full of people who are excited to know your name, hug your neck, make you a part of their little family. So, Father, would you give us the courage to do that this morning? Drop this little blue ball in and commit to say, I need that in my life. I'm showing up here to church, but I don't have that kind of community. I've got, I've got friends at work. I've got you know, friends I grew up with from high school, but I don't have Christian brothers and sisters who are investing in me, and I need that. God, give us the strength to own that truth, to take the steps to fix it. Father, we're thankful for your grace. If you need to pray with someone this morning, if you need to talk about that, if you need to talk about growth this morning, there's going to be some guys on the side. I'm going to be up here up front. I'd love to pray with you, just talk with you, help you connect to a group or talk about whatever you need, pray about whatever you need. God, give us the strength. In Jesus' name we pray. All those people said, stand and sing together.